Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right. Luke 23. And like usual, I am reading from the New King James Version. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Verse 6, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he, had exceed, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Verse 13, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, he said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning these things for which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to, to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a, a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them a third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for Rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. 26. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him, they laid the cross that he might bear after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented. But Jesus, turning to them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green woods, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on him, 
looking on, but even the rulers, when they sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in, let in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out and with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what he had what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. <clears throat> Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been laid before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Amen, amen. Come on. That's a whole lot of story. Let's get, let's, let's get it on, guys. So... In the beginning, the religious leaders, they, they led Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate um, was the Roman governor of Judea. Nick covered a whole lot about that yesterday. Um, history tells us that Pilate was, was a cruel and ruthless man. He was, he was insensitive to the, to the feelings and moralities of, of others. Jewish, so Jewish leaders, they had every reason to expect that Pilate would put Jesus to death. Um, an ancient Greek scholar named um, Philo, he wrote about Pilate. He said his corruption, his acts of insolence, his um, seizing property with violence, his habit of insulting people, his cruelty, his continual murders of people, untried and uncondemned, and his never-ending gratuitous and most grievous inhumanity. Pilate wasn't a good guy, okay? You know, and he had a history. He had a, he had a reputation for being a, a cruel guy, you know, and um, and that was probably because Roman governors, wherever they were at, they had to keep order, right? Caesar didn't want all kinds of disorder in his different territories. So Roman governors, they had to be cruel in their estimation to keep control of the people. So, so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews, right? And, and at this point, Jesus had already been beaten, right? I mean, he wasn't completely flogged and scourged yet, but he had been beaten. He had been smacked around. And, um, and so imagine when he saw this beaten and bloody man standing before him, you know, being an accused of, of, of saying he was the king of the Jews. And because Jesus, he didn't look especially regal. He didn't look especially majestic, you know, um, he didn't look like a king, you know, so, so he probably asked us very sarcastically, like, man, are you, are you the king of the Jews? You know, kind of, kind of being smart, you know, but what did Jesus say? 
It is as you say. He gave the same reply he gave to the high priest in Matthew 26 when he was asked that question. It is as you say. And Pilate found no fault in him. You know, there's nothing. Jesus didn't do nothing wrong. You know, so Pilate made his verdict. Verse four, I find no fault in this man. You know, so although he was a, he was a cruel and ruthless man, Pilate wasn't a stupid man. You know, he, he, he could see through the motives of the religious leaders and, and had no problem in, in estimating um, Jesus in the whole situation by declaring, I find no fault in this man. Right. So, so then he, when he finds out that Jesus is a, a Galilean, he's like, well, wait a minute. Galilee falls under the, the jurisdiction of King Herod. King Herod was a puppet king. King Herod was uh, under the Roman authority. So while, while King Herod was the, quote, king of the Jews, he really didn't have all that much power. He was a figurehead. So, But he said, you know what? He belongs to him. I'm going to send him to him. And Herod certainly heard about Jesus because the majority of Jesus' ministry was in the Galilee area. So he had heard about Jesus, but his only interest in Jesus was to be entertained and to be amused by him, right? This is the same Herod. He was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who killed all the babies trying to, trying to kill Jesus, you know, back, back in, when we read in the beginning of the Gospels, okay? So he had heard about this guy. And the word says he hoped to see a miracle by him, you know. Uh, so this was this Herod was Herod Antipas, the the, the son of Herod the Great, and um, you know at one point he did express some some interest in in religious things because you know he was the king who killed John the Baptist. Prior to killing John the Baptist, he had conversation with John the Baptist, you know, and 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 it's believed that you know his, his heart was being stirred a little bit by what John the Baptist was doing. But but he was so intended to continue with his sin, his heart ended up being uh, getting hardened against God and his word, and and Herod lost all conscious conscious you know and he he didn't care what he did, you know so um so he only wanted to hear from Jesus what he wanted to hear, you know he wanted Jesus to prove himself himself he wanted he demanded miracles from jesus and and today don't a lot of us we demand miracles from jesus we demand uh jesus to give us evidence you know to 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 satiate our own desires to to so to prove prove to us god that you are you know and jesus may look at a lot of people and be like you're just like herod you're just like herod so i'm asking you brothers and sisters are you a true follower of jesus or are you just like herod waiting for Jesus to do things before you act, waiting for Jesus to do things in your life before you serve, waiting for Jesus to do things in your life before you finally say, Lord, I love you. I'm going to commit to you. Because Jesus is, is not a magician. Jesus is not a genie. Jesus is not going to come down and snap his fingers and give you all the desires of your heart just because, just because you know, you want it. No, it's all about your heart. Herod's heart was hardened. And, and he questioned him in verse nine with many words. And, you know, so, um, but Jesus said nothing. So Herod probably thought, you know, come on, let's hear, let's hear an answer from the great teacher. Let's see a miracle from the great miracle man. And Jesus probably thought to himself, man, I got nothing to say to you. You killed my cousin. I got nothing to say to you. I don't got to prove nothing to you. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote, he who answered blind beggars when they cried for mercy is silent to a prince who only seeks to gratify his own irreverent curiosity. 
he's got nothing to say to Herod. So then eventually he goes back and, and, and Herod's like, I'm send him back, you know? And of course his men also slap Jesus around and, and beat Jesus and whatnot. And then, so he sends him back to Pilate and Pilate again, clearly and eloquently declares Jesus innocent of any crime. This was, a, and this is again, this is a result of, of careful examination of both Jesus and, and the, the evidence that was brought against him. So he just says, you know what? I'm just going to chastise him. We're just going to beat him up. We're going to, we're going to torture him a little bit and then we're going to release him, you know, because this man does not deserve death, you know, and listen, chastisement was not a light punishment. The, Ro- the Roman uh, uh, custom of, of, of scourging was a brutal, brutal beating. You know, blows came from whips with, with leather strands. And on the leather strands, were, there was pieces of bone and metal and glass, you know. And, and they would, it, it was intended that when they beat, when the, when the whip hits you, it tore into the flesh, right? And it tore the back so it was raw. And it, and it wasn't unusual for criminals to die just from the scourging, just from the beating. Criminals would, Some criminals wouldn't even make it to the cross for their execution. This wasn't just. This wasn't fair. This wasn't lawful. An innocent man does not deserve even a light punishment, much less a severe one that was suggested by, by, the, by the term, I will chastise him. And then they talked about releasing somebody because his intention was, I'm going to beat him. And then we have to release somebody because of, of, of the Jewish traditions and blah, blah, blah. You know, so Pilate believed that they had a way, he had a way for Jesus to escape death. So he planned to release him according to the customs, you know? So Barabbas, Barabbas was a bad man. He was a terrorist. He was a murderer. He did a lot of good. Everyone knew the name Barabbas, right? You know? It had been like, it was like, hey, um, we got Jesus, right? Or we got Osama bin Laden. We're going to release one of them. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, the people started saying, oh, you know, release, release Osama. Really, you know, it's, it's, it's the equivalent, okay, for, the, for that time, how bad this man was. But the crowd, you know, Pilate was convinced that they were going to say release Jesus. But they didn't. Release Barabbas. And in verse 20, one that says, but they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. Imagine this, Jesus, who did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong, but preach the truth and preach the gospel. And they would rather have a terrorist released back, back amongst them a criminal, a murderer, and they wanted him to be crucified, knowing what crucifixion meant. Crucifixion wasn't like something new to them. The Roman Empire had been around for a while. People saw crucifixions. The roadways would be lined with crosses of condemned people who were being crucified. So they knew exactly what they were shouting. So this is, this is a very, very uh, uh, insane scene. A cruel, ruthless governor trying to win the life of a miracle-working Jewish teacher against the, the efforts of both the Jewish leaders and the crowd. That's, that's, it, it doesn't make any sense. And we may imagine that 
many of the people in this crowd just a few days prior were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings, shouting his name, laying palm branches at his feet as he came into Jerusalem. And it's probably the same people that were saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So then they released, verse 25, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. The crowd rejected Jesus and embraced Barabbas. Again, he was a terrorist and a murderer. If anyone, if anyone in this entire story could be able to say, Jesus died for me, it was Barabbas. Because he knew what it was to have Jesus die on his behalf. The innocent for the guilty. You know, there's an old, there's an old movie about, uh, back in, I think, like the 60s about Barabbas and how, you know, as a result of being released. Again, it's all fiction. It's, 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 it's Hollywood. But it's a really good movie because it's like this act may have changed Barabbas. You know, and who knows what, what happened with Barabbas? I don't know. I didn't get into any more research about, about this guy. But imagine... Let's, let's just, let's just, let's play pretend that as a result of this, this man, Barabbas, whose name means son of the father and pastor Jose, a couple of weeks back, he, he talked about, you know, choosing Barabbas or choosing Jesus, you know, uh, his, his soap was, was amazing, you know, and it's like, how could his life have been changed? How has your life been changed by Jesus when you really accept and you really understand the sacrifice that he made for you? Because brothers and sisters, we have just as much sin in our life as Barabbas had in his life. And Jesus went to the cross for him. So he delivered Pilate, he delivered Jesus to their will. And, and so, so this was how Pilate perceived his actions, you know, and a lot as Jesus was delivered to his father's will and the eternal purpose of God. See, Pilate was just giving him to the people, but really he was fulfilling the purpose and the will of the father because Jesus was predestined before the world was ever created for this very act, for this very moment. And we can get even deeper. I ain't going to get too deep into, into that, but this was what the father willed. And they led him away even before Jesus was beaten and scourged. His physical condition was weak. And, and, and for that day, being a carpenter and the amount of walking he did, we can assume that Jesus was, was in pretty good physical condition. You know, during the hours, the 12 hours between 9 p.m. Thursday and 9 a.m. Friday, Jesus suffered many things. You know, he suffered emotional stress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, 44 says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Okay. The amount of, amount of distress that he was under, knowing what he was going to go through, knowing what he was going to have to endure. Jesus suffered the emotional stress of abandonment by his disciples. He was all alone. Everyone abandoned him. Now we know that the, 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 the apostle John and, and his mother, they were there at the cross, but through all of this, he was by himself. He suffered the severe physical beating when he was taken to the home of the high priest. He suffered a sleepless night. He was suffered being forced to walk the miles it would take with his cross. You know, all these factors made Jesus especially vulnerable to the effects of the scourging of, of being beaten. See, the goal of the scourging was to weaken the victim um, to a state, a, a state just short of death. 
As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck Jesus, pieces of, of the iron would cause deep contusions. The leather whip with bones and nails and glass would cut into the skin. As it continued, the lacerations would, would tear deep into the skeletal muscles and produce ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss were, were set the stage for shock. The amount of blood loss determined if someone would even survive to get to the cross. Before he was led away, his clothes would be ripped off. And Jesus, as he was led to, led to the crucifixion, he was forced to carry the wood that would hang on the cross. And the weight of the entire cross was about 300 pounds, but the victims would just carry the cross beam, you know, and that weighed between 75 to 125 pounds. And, and, and they were usually stripped naked during this walk to, the, to their crucifixion. You know, we always see in the depictions, you know, he's wearing a little loincloth or he's got a little something on. No, imagine our savior naked, beaten, a bloody mess, unrecognizable, walking through the streets, carrying this piece of wood. And again, these executions were in very visible places. They didn't hide what they were doing. Every crucifixion was to set an example for the next criminal. What could happen if you violate the laws of Rome? You know, and so, and it was always put on, you know, major roadways or where people, where it could be seen. Jesus likely, imagine this, Jesus likely passed the very spot during his ministry where he knew he was going to be crucified. He likely walked right by it, knowing that's where I'm going to die for my people. Verse 27 tells us it was a great multitude of the people followed him. You know, it was customary for, for, for people to follow the condemned criminal for his way to execution. It was, it was intended, it, it, this was intended to be a very uh, public event, a public spectacle. And a Roman guard led with a sign that carried the man's name and his crime. And, and they usually didn't take the shortest route. They wanted people to know what this, what this man did. They took the scenic route, for lack of a better word, you know, to get to the execution spot. Verse 33 says, when they had come to the place called Calvary, Calvary means place of the skull. It was the place where criminals were crucified. And it says there they crucified him. Now, in New Testament days, during this time, execu uh, uh, execution by crucifixion didn't need an explanation. People knew what it means. What they, they knew what went into it. We don't appreciate what a person experienced in the execution by, by crucifixion. The combination of scourging and crucifixion made death on the cross especially brutal. The victim's back, again, was torn. The blood, uh, the, the, the clotting blood was then ripped again as they ripped the clothes off. The victim was thrown to the ground as his hands were, were, were put to the crossbeam. You know, so then, so then that's even more agony as your torn open back is thrown onto the ground, onto the cross, you know, and, and you're just rubbing up against that wood and dirt and stuff are getting into it. The victim, as the victim hung on the cross, each breath caused painful wounds on his back to scrape against the uprights of, of the wood as they're trying to breathe. When the nails were driven through the wrist, it severed the median nerve. There's a lot, a lot of depictions that it was it, the, the nails were it were in the hands, and no, that the nails were actually put into the into the wrist, right? Because there's bones on either side to help keep the person up, but it's it's it it, go, it, it severs the median nerve. So the, the nerve produced excruciating bolts of pain in both the arms, and it, it caused the victim to have a, a claw-like grip, you know? 
So that's why the, you see a lot of depictions. The hands are like a claw because the nerve has been severed. And beyond the extreme pain, the, the, the effects of, uh, of crucifixion was to restrict normal breathing. You know, the weight of the body pulling down the arms and the shoulders to, to, to fix the, the, to be able to breathe. It, it was kind of like you, you were in a constant state of, of inhaling, but you had a hard time exhaling. You know, and so lack of adequate breathing resulted in severe muscle cramps, which further hindered breathing. To get a good breath, you had to actually pull yourself up, you know, so you had to flex the elbows. So the nails that are in your wrist are just twisting every time you're trying to get a breath. This is what our Savior went through. The weight of the body, you know, just everything just weighing down on you. It was exhausting to try to get a breath. So you, you essentially suffocated. If you survived all of his beatings and the nails and the whips and everything else that happened, you essentially just suffocated. But listen to this. The entire time, our Savior was in control. The entire time, our Savior was doing this because he loved us. He endured this because he desires to be with us. John 10 verse 18 says, no one takes it from me. Talking about his own life, Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. It's terrible to be forced to endure such torture, but to freely choose it, brothers and sisters, to freely choose it out of love, that's a remarkable thing. Listen, I love you guys. But there's no way I'm laying down my life like that for you. But our Savior, our Father, he did it willingly. This is, this is the most, most important act in the most, uh, that came out of the most important life ever. And it's reflected in secular histories. So the de- this, this, this didn't just happen in the Bible, okay? This isn't just a, a, a sad story we read about in the Gospels. In AD 73, a Roman man wrote a letter to his son describing what happened. In AD 90, Josephus, a Jewish historian, he wrote about this event. AD 110, Tacitus, a Roman historian, wrote about this event. And then 8200, the Babylonian Talmud, which is, which is the central text in rabbinic Judaism, right? They wrote about this event. Multiple sources of evidence say that this event happened. Verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This tells me, Lord, uh, my, my brothers and sisters, that our Lord, he, his love for us never fails. On the cross, he, he prayed for his executioners, asking God the Father to not hold it against them. He probably prayed in this manner, you know, uh, for his enemies all throughout his ministry, but this time his prayer was heard. And Jesus fulfilled his own command. Matthew 5, 44, he, he, he said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He still prayed for his executioners. And that's, that's, that's going even deeper. Every single one of us could be one of his executioners. So when you see movies depicting this, you know, imagine it's your hands with the whip. Imagine it's your hands with the hammer 
putting the nails in his wrists. Imagine it's you that's putting the crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Because when he was going through all this, he was thinking about every single one of us. Jesus recognized the blindness of his enemies in this prayer. They weren't aware. They were just, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't aware of the, the deeper ramifications of what was happening. You know, that this now this didn't excuse the guilt of those who put Jesus on the cross, but Jesus set his enemies in the best possible light in his prayer to the Father. We must pray the same with, with the same heart after the same pattern. Listen, being a Christian is not easy. We may go through some stuff. We may go through some persecution for our faith. You know, now we're blessed to be here in the United States. We're not going through the, some of the craziness happening around the world, you know, against Christians. But, you know, we will have people who will question our faith. We will have people who are going to say we're dumb for following, you know, a book written 2000 years ago. That doesn't even matter. Right. All the all excuses that they say about this. And what do we just, what do we got to do? Just pray for them. Pray for them. It says they divided my, his garments and cast lots. Jesus let go of everything, even his clothes, becoming completely poor. He had nothing in this, in this state. He was a naked man beaten down to the skeleton. There's a depiction. If you, watch, if you guys have seen The Passion of the Christ, there's a part where he's being whipped and, and, and the whip comes and takes a huge chunk, Right. And then later on, you see it and you can see his ribs. That's accurate. That wasn't just history. You know, Jesus was beaten. So we have this man completely unrecognizable on the cross, a complete bloody mess, praying for us, praying for us, interceding for us. Lord, forgive them. He became as nothing. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was, was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He did this for us so we could have salvation. We could have the riches of salvation. Verse 38 says that they put the inscription over the, over the cross, which was customary to put an inscription of, of what this person did, what they, what they, you know, uh, what their crimes were, were. And they wrote, this is the King of the Jews. Now, John 19, 21 tells us that the religious leaders, they weren't, they didn't like this, you know, because, you know, they, they felt it was false. They didn't believe that Jesus was the King of the Jews. And they also believed it was demeaning to their faith, but Pilate wouldn't change it. He wouldn't change it. John 19, 22 says, what I have written, I have written. In other words, Pilate was like, you don't like it? Suck it up. Deal with it. He's going to the cross because he claims he's, he's king of the Jews, then he's the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals were hanged, blasphemed him, and, and they, you know, he had two criminals either side of him. They mocked him, and, and this one criminal said, you know, he figured that if Jesus were the Messiah, he would save them. Now, both Matthew uh, and Matthew and Mark those accounts in Matthew 27 and Matthew 15 indicate that both the criminals initially, they both mocked him. Okay. They both mocked him. Though at first they, they both mocked Jesus in the hours on the cross. One of the criminals came to see things differently and to, he, he actually began to put his trust in Jesus. Perhaps he heard Jesus's prayers. 
Perhaps he heard things that were happening that aren't written in the book. And it was an example to him that, man, this guy is for real. See, the, the, the second criminal, he respected God when he said, do you not fear God? He, he knew he, had, he was a sinful man. He, he says, we receive the, the reward of our deeds. And he knew Jesus because this man has done nothing wrong. And he believed that Jesus, who he, Jesus was who he said he was. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, surely you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is, this is, this is the only uh, deathbed confession in the Bible. You know, this is the only biblical example of a last minute salvation. This thief who trusted in Jesus goes to the same heaven anyone else does. And this may not seem fair, but this gives glory to the grace of God, not to human merit in salvation, the grace of God. Paradise um, is a word that means garden, right? It's a Persian word. Um, it's also used in the, to, to explain the, the, uh, the Garden of Eden, this idea of paradise. Um, it's become a type of a future bliss. You know, we think of paradise. Heaven is paradise. You know, in the present passage, it presents the state of bliss, which Jesus promised to the criminal directly after death. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And then here it says, there was darkness over the whole earth. Remarkable darkness. The entire earth was blackened. You know, it was as if the all of creation was in agony over what was happening to its creator. All of creation was, was moaning. There's a, a Roman historian who even wrote about this. You know, he says in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun at the sixth hour. The day turned into dark night so that the stars of heaven were seen and there was an earthquake. Again, more confirmation that this isn't just a story, brothers and sisters. This actually happened. And it says, verse 44, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil represents the holy of holies, the separation um, between us and God that was in place. You know, this gave, you know, so, and it says the veil was torn, right? And Matthew makes a note that the veil, and this is a thing, a giant curtain, you know, right? No man can tear it. It's thick. It's thick so that it can, it can, uh, it protects us from the glory and like the power and the majesty of God, right? Well, it was torn in two. And Matthew makes note it tore from top to bottom so that no man could tear it. No man could do this, but God did it. Imagine that, brothers and sisters. God himself comes down and tears the curtain in two to say, there's no separation between you and me anymore. You come to me through my son. My son is making a way. And then it says, when Jesus, he cried out with a loud voice. And, you know, it, uh, it doesn't say exactly what he says, but we know in, in John 19, 30, he says, it is finished. The Greek term for it is finished, paid in full. He paid our debts. He paid for our sin. And this was a cry of a winner because Jesus had paid the full debt. Isaiah 53, verse, starting with verse 3, says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has... Um, born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. 
Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, writing about Jesus. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. His work on the cross was accomplished. Jesus yielded his spirit to, to God the Father just as he yielded his body to death on the cross. This shows that Jesus gave up his life when he wanted to and how he wanted to. No one took it from him. He said, now I'm done. Now I'm ready to get off this cross. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He wasn't a victim. Jesus wasn't a victim that we should pity. But Jesus in this moment was a conqueror that we should admire. Save your pity for those who reject Jesus. Don't pity Jesus. Admire Jesus. It goes on to say that this the Roman centurion that was there, you know, it says that when he saw what happened, he glorified God. A Roman centurion, the one who was probably in command of the beatings and the entire crucifixion, saw what was happening, saw the effects, saw the darkness, was a part of the, everything that happened in this moment, and he glorified God. Surely this man was the son of God. So as we begin to close, we see that, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes and he asked for the body and it was customary just to leave the bodies on the crosses um, for the, you know, animals and just for it to decay and whatever, but, you know, Passover was coming and, and they, they couldn't allow a bodies to be like that, you know, so he decided, you know, I'm going to go. And he did what no other disciple of Jesus could. He provided a tomb. The disciples couldn't provide a tomb for him. His mother couldn't provide a tomb for him. No other follower but Joseph of Arimathea. He could do one thing for Jesus, provide a tomb. This tells me, brothers and sisters, that we must serve God in whatever way we can. You may not be called to be on a platform preaching the word, but maybe you, you're called just to stand there with a sign and, and greet people and welcome people in. You may, you may not be led to, to, to be called to be on a stage, you know, leading in worship, but you can hand a cup of coffee. You can walk people to their seats. You're serving God. You do what you can with what you have. Don't think that anything as simple as just showing up and parking a car is not going to benefit the kingdom of God. Because I'm telling you, we have testimony after testimony of people who have come to Fusion Church and have stayed simply because that sign, welcome home, actually means something to Fusion Church. And the way we treat people and the way we greet people and the way we, we treat them like family. Joseph of Arimathea, he couldn't save Jesus. He couldn't do anything, but he could provide a tomb for him. And so Jesus' body was, was prepared and it was placed in, in the tomb. And, and, and it was a very quiet affair, this last portion. See, in hours of crisis, it's often people like Peter, you know, who have sworn loyalty to Jesus with big gestures and confidence that disappoint but it's just the secret, secret and, and quiet followers of the master, like Joseph, like Nicodemus, like the women who are following, that do not hesitate to serve him in love, whatever the cost. Are you willing to serve the Lord with love, whatever the cost? Even if it's in private, even if it's in the quiet? Because that's what Joseph and the women did. 
And that's what he's looking for. Because the Peters, who spoke a whole lot of game, he wasn't there. The disciples, they weren't there at the end. I would argue that these women were more loyal in Jesus' final hours. Because they were there. They were willing to be there no matter the cost. Are you willing to be there no matter the cost? If Jesus did all of this for you, he endured all of this for you. He willingly, willingly was beaten, tortured, and died for you. Are you willing to serve him with all of your heart in whatever capacity you're able to? That's a question for you, brothers and sisters, that only you can answer. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice at Calvary, Lord God. Father, uh, we're so unworthy to be saved, but you did it willingly because you want to be with us, Lord God. So thank you, Father, that, that you just want to have a relationship with us, Lord. And all we have to do is call out your name and you are right here with us. So Father, I pray that we won't get so wrapped up in, in all the details of, of this going into this Easter weekends and the multiple services and, and the, the, the throngs of people who are coming to our locations, Father, as they, as they uh, check a box off for their yearly church attendance, Father. We won't get wrapped up in that, Lord. But we will get wrapped up in your grace. We will get wrapped up in your mercy. We will get wrapped up in your love that you have given to us, Father. Be with us during these weekend service, Father. Give, give, give us an extra amount of strength as we go in, Father. I pray for Pastor Brandon, Lord, as he's preparing to speak multiple, multiple services over this weekend, Father. Lord, I pray you would just, you would just strengthen his spirit, Lord God, Father. You will strengthen his resolve, Lord, that you will give him an uh, extra, extra amount of, uh, of wisdom and grace and discernment as he goes and he speaks your word, Father, for your people, Lord. I pray for every dream teamer who's serving throughout the weekend, Lord. Father, just keep their spirits up, Father. I pray that they would just never lose sight of why it is we do what we do. We praise you for what you were doing. We thank you, Lord, for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, guys. Come on. We have multiple services going on this week, and let's get going. I don't know about you, but a few of us are heading to Cumberland Christian School to go set up church here in about, about an hour. Joe, I'm going to see you there, so if you can make it, come on out. You're more than welcome. We need the help. It's a lot. You know, it's a lot. Love you guys, and uh, can't wait to see you all.